Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. We're going to be in a few areas of Scripture this evening. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8. Now, we're going to continue our study in Hebrews. Romans chapter 8, as well as Hebrews chapter 4 and John chapter 4. Uh, For those of you that volunteered at VBS, I'm hoping that you've recovered by now. Um, If not, I've got good news. You have a year until it's time to volunteer next year. Amen. My uh, grandson called. They're back in Florida, and he wants to come back to Papa Lowe's house. I love that. Um, But he said, I would love to come. And uh, Is VBS next week? And I said, oh, no. You will wait a year before we do that again. (laughs) It was just such a great, great experience. Um, excited about tonight. How many of you have ever been stressed out? Anyone ever been like stressed out? Like, I mean, if someone says hello, you're hello. <laughs> have you ever been stressed out? Right? I mean, like, you are, you're just like, you feel like at any moment you could pop. Does anyone have that understanding in the human plight? Go ahead and raise your hand. Oh, you're going to love this Bible study. I got hope for you tonight. Amen? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're so grateful for your word. So thankful that we have a chance and an opportunity to dig deep into the book of Hebrews. And that's our prayer tonight. Would you open up the eyes of our understanding? Not only that we would know this, but that we would learn it to live it. Would you just provide for us that grace? Thank you for those that come here on a Thursday night, hungry for your word. Would you bless them for their faith? In Jesus' name, amen. The author of Hebrews has done a great job building his case. Um, He is trying to show us that Jesus is the greatest that this life has to offer. He is better than the greatest of men, even the prophets. He is better than any celestial being, even the angels. He is greater than Moses. Tonight we'll learn he's greater than Joshua. This book, is very logical. In fact, every chapter builds off the other and it's leading us to a crescendo in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, where the writer encourages us, fix your eyes on Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, he gets us to this place where he wants us to understand, look to Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me tell you something. 
Though your life may seem crazy, Jesus is still on the throne. Amen? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Now let me tell you what's going on. As a measure of review, this group, they're experiencing great internal conflict. They're stressed out. They're stressed out because of their finals. They are stressed out because of their job. They are stressed out because they've lost their job. They're stressed out because they've lost their family. They're stressed out because they lost their community. They lost their culture. When they got saved, the Jews kicked them out of the synagogue, kicked them out of their families, disowned them. This group is stressed out. Their families. Their families have rejected them. Does anyone know that pain? The government is persecuting them. And though we don't have a persecutory kind of government yet in the United States of America, we see our religious freedoms being ebbed away each and every day. But it still doesn't go to the plight of what these people were facing. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Look at their plight. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Look what they were walking through. Shall tribulation, shall distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or your head being chopped off by a sword? You have to understand what this group was going through. Paul was giving the current events in Romans chapter 8. He says, as it's written, For your sake, we're killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. This is what Christians thought of themselves as the writer of Hebrews was encouraging them. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor thing to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let the church say, Amen. That means you agree. That means if you lose your job, it won't separate you from the love of Christ. If you lose your family, it doesn't separate you from the love of Christ. If you lose your state, it doesn't separate you from the love of Christ. If you lose your freedoms, it doesn't separate you from the love of Christ. That's what he's communicating. These people are stressed out. So the writer is encouraging them, we learned last week, to hold on. Because when you hold on, it's the evidence of the fact that you are saved. He's warning them. Don't allow sin. Don't allow rebellion. Don't allow disappointment. Don't allow unbelief to cause you to drift away, to harden your heart with a lack of faith. Know his desire? And here's our hope for tonight. His desire is that they enter into the abundant life that only Christ can offer. Now, when he speaks of the abundant life that only Christ can offer, he calls it rest. He calls it rest. 
This is what he refers to as the abundant life. Take a look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. It'll be on your screen. Matthew chapter 11, listen to what Jesus calls out. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You can have peace with God. Then he says this. Take my yoke upon you. This is now for today. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle, lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Not only is he inviting us to have peace with God, he's also inviting us to have the peace of God. You see, Jesus is inviting people in Matthew 11 to have peace with God. Now, the only way this is possible is that you come to Jesus. There is no way for any human being to have peace with God because we're all sinners. We were born into sin. The only way that we can have peace with God, a peace treaty with God, is that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. Now, let me tell you something about the sinful life. The sinful life is hurtful. The sinful life is laborious. That's why he said, come to me, all you that heavy laden, all of you that need rest. He says, come to me because the sinful life is laborious and it's heavy laden. How many of you, you would, real, you would agree with Scripture that the sinful life is laborious. It's a burden to bear. It's waiting for the next drink or getting to the next high, trying to fulfill something that only Christ can fulfill. Those of us that have come out of the world, we know this to be true. We know that the sinful life hurts. We know what it means to wake up the next morning. We know what it means to walk through life and realize, my goodness, I can't bear this any longer. How many of you would say amen to that? And Jesus says to the sinful crowd, I know sin is rough. Come to me, you can have peace with God. You see, the Christian life brings rest from the turmoil of sin. But not only does he make a plea that you come to him so you can have peace with God. No, no, no. He says, take my yoke upon you. Jesus is also inviting us to have the peace of God. The peace of God. Now truly, one day we will have perfect peace which can only be found in heaven. There will be no more wars. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sorrow. One day we're going to experience that perfect peace in heaven. Yet what Jesus is offering us is a peace from heaven here, now, and today. He offers rest to our soul and spirit despite the world around us. He says, take my yoke upon you. You will find rest. Now take a look what John says. He records the words of Jesus, and in John chapter 14, he says this in verse 25. These things, Jesus, this is red letters in my Bible, okay? Jesus is speaking, all right? These letters I've spoken to you. You know what's amazing about red letters? As I'm getting older, the red blends into the page. <laughs> so I've had to ditch my old Bible, and now it's just on a shelf somewhere because I can't read the red letters anymore, and I've got to have the black letters on the page. So these are the words of Jesus. These things I've spoken to you. 
while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, now the Helper, the Holy Spirit, is inside of us. He came upon us. So the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Take a look at verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world do I give to you. Not as the world. Let not your heart be. Don't be stressed out. Don't be afraid. Peace I leave you. You see, what Jesus is saying here is the Holy Spirit is inside of you. And the peace that I'm giving you is internal, not external. The peace that I'm giving you is no matter what is externally happening, internally, you can, call, you can be at peace. Now, here's what Paul calls it. Paul calls it, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, he calls it, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. You can't explain it. Now, I've told you guys... Some of you know my family. Nine kids. At one time, Andre and I, we had 22 children in our home. 22. When we were in Africa, we had 22 children in our home. When we moved to the Bahamas, we had 11. 11. Two foster kids and our, our kids. There was chaos at my house at any given moment. Someone was pulling hair. Someone was taking someone's sweater. Someone had fallen down to the ground. Someone had broke their toe. One of my sons actually ripped his toe off. I mean, it, it just went on and on and on. And no matter whenever I came home, this was Andrea. Amazing grace, how sweet the... You know what we came to term it? We called it the happy place. The happy place. And none of us knew how to get there. She lived there. It was a peace that she couldn't explain. It was a piece that she couldn't tell us how to get there. There was no explanation to it. Absolute chaos externally. Absolute peace internally. You can't explain a peace that the Holy Spirit gives you, but you can experience it. You can experience it. So what the writer of Hebrews is doing, despite the fact that they're stressed out, The writer is reminding them of the peace, the rest, the abundant life that's available to them, though their world is falling apart around them. That's what makes Hebrews so relevant. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. Go there with me. Hebrews chapter 4, and maybe you'll circle this verse, verse 9. There remains, therefore, a rest, an abundant life, a peace, With God and from God and of God. There is a peace, there is a rest for the people of God. There's the point of Hebrews chapter 4. I know you're stressed out, but God can give you a peace that passes understanding. You see, what was happening, they were afraid. And fear caused a lack of faith. So in Hebrews chapter 3, he, he reminds them that fear has always caused a lack of faith in the Jewish people. The Israelites, they didn't enter the promised land because they heard they were giants in the land. And they didn't get to live in the promise that God had for them because they were afraid. The Holy Spirit 
the Holy Spirit wants something different for us. He doesn't wander us wandering in the wilderness of stress. He wants us to walk in the peace of God. He wants us to walk in our promised land. He wants us to live in a state of rest. But fear. Fear is the great enemy of faith. It's the great enemy of faith. And let me tell you something. Anxiety is the great weapon of fear. Why do you think Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow for it has enough worries of its own? Because let me tell you something. If you start thinking about tomorrow, it'll stress you out. When you start thinking about what you need to accomplish tomorrow morning when you wake up and the amount of kids those mouths need to get fed, let me tell you something. You'll get stressed out. Just think some of you have already started with a nervous twitch. So Jesus gives us an example. And I'll never forget one of my dearest friends. I call her once a week. She's an older lady in the faith. And she always answers the phone like this. Today. Today is Thursday, July 6th. Hello? (laughs) And you know when I get stressed out? I say, today is Thursday. All I have to do is think about today. And this is the day that the Lord has made, so I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. Because let me tell you, anxiety is the great weapon of fear that can wreak havoc in your life. Do you know how many Americans are on antidepressants? Do you know how many Americans are on on anti-anxiety medications? Now, I'm not saying if that happens, so happens to be you, that there is a huge problem with that. But what I'm trying to communicate is maybe we need to, as I've heard someone say, meditate on the word instead of medicate. And there's an understanding where we should have the opportunity to recognize that anxiety can wreak havoc in our lives. And they're making money off of it. So in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, he begins his encouragement. He begins his encouragement to a stressed out crowd. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. You'll see this on the screen. It'll be there long enough. Maybe you can take a picture or write it down. God's rest is the peace that we have with God that secures our salvation. And the peace that only comes from God because of his son, Jesus Christ. No matter what we're going through. God can give us a peace with him. And the fruit of that is a peace in this world because of what Jesus Christ did for us. But I need to let you know something. Disobedience, disobedience can keep us from that rest. There was a difference when I would come home. When my children had a good day and when they had a bad day. When they had a good day, they came running to me. When they had a bad day, I wouldn't see them for about 30 minutes. Because they knew mom was about to download and dad was going to come in the room. There was no peace in the house because they were disobedient that day. Has God ever spoken something for you to do and you didn't do it? Has God ever said not to do something 
and you did it. Do you remember how you felt after you did it? Just like Adam and Eve. You ran and hide when God came walking in the house. You know how you feel when you've been disobedient by the Lord? You got the Holy Spirit convicting you, and you can't rest until you confess your sin to the Lord. You see, disobedience causes stress. It keeps us from the rest of God. Let me tell you something else. Doubt keeps us from that rest. And the Lord is prompting you to take a step of faith. He has told you, go on a mission trip. Well, I'm praying about it. That mission trip will come and go before you get an answer from the Lord. He's already spoken to you. He's not going to tell you again. You see, the answer is we are in doubt. And let me tell you what happens when we doubt. There's, not, there's an unrest in our soul when we're wrestling with God, asking him, what should I do? What should I not do? Now, there's an amazing thing that happens when you choose to take a step of faith, it's a, it's a relief that you feel. It's a rest that you feel when you finally just trust him and make the decision, I'm going to take this step of faith. Doubt. He even says, listen, when you're in the middle of a trial in James chapter 1, pray for wisdom friend pastor of mine was ministering to an older lady and she was very, very sick. And she, he went to the lady and he said, who she'd been walking with the Lord for years. And she said, I am, he said, I am praying for your healing. And this older lady said to him, the Bible says in James chapter one, that when you are walking through a trial, you don't pray for healing, you pray for wisdom. So you pray for wisdom for me. You ask, you ask God to reveal to me why, uh, uh, what wisdom I need as I'm walking through this trial. Because as long as God wants me to have this trial, I'll have it for his glory's sake. There's nothing like getting spanked spiritually from an older woman in the faith. Let me tell you something. After 80, you can say whatever you want. Doubt keeps us from that rest. Doubt will keep us from gaining the wisdom of God. And you ever notice people that doubt? The Bible is so true. They are tossed about with every wind and wave of doctrine. They're just tossed about. They're indecisive. They don't know how to move forward. And they have filled with stress and anxiety because they're afraid to make a step of faith. God, will you be there? God, will you help me? I don't know. Let me tell you what else disbelief will keep you from the rest of God. This was the issue of the Israelites. They heard the word of God. Go into the promised land. They're right there on the edge. It takes 11 days to walk from the land of Goshen to the promised land. 11 days. They had seen the 10 plagues. They'd seen the Nile River turn to blood. They had seen the flies. They'd seen the frogs. They'd seen the lice. They'd even seen the death of the firstborn. They walked through the Red Sea. They even heard the voice of God. And there on the earth, right on the verge of the promised land, they heard God say, go into the land. But they didn't do it. Because let me tell you something. Faith is not just hearing, but doing what you hear. Faith is not just hearing, 
It's doing what you hear. Faith without works is dead. Dead. You see, they ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They ended up dying in the wilderness, and their children, who they were afraid to go into the, into the promised land, they were the ones that went in, and they entered into new life. And the encouragement for us is we need to let disbelief die in our own lives so that we can stop walking in the wilderness of faith and start walking into the rest, this rest and the peace and the abundant life that God has for us. Do you believe in that God? Because let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit is making it very clear. I don't want you to come short of all that God has for you. Do you know how many sicknesses, anxiety, and stress cause in the human body? Have you ever, have you ever gone on a run? And at the, I'll tell you, I, I did a half marathon, 13 point whatever miles it was. Okay? I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to die. And I trained for it. I, got, I couldn't walk for like five days afterwards. Do you realize that's what stresses your body? You are constantly running a marathon. Now, just imagine you're firing on all cylinders all the time. Your body wears out quicker. Your body just wears out. Stress and anxiety, they cause all kinds of issues. And what he's saying here is, I don't want you to come short of the abundant life that God has for you. So the Spirit says, let us fear. Now, let me explain. This isn't like I'm afraid. No, 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 that's not what it is. Let me give you a visual picture. When he says, let us fear lest we come short, it's like the idea that you're hanging on the edge of a cliff. And you are doing everything that you can. You're giving it everything you've got to get up onto the, onto the mountain so you don't fall into the ravine below. You are terrified to fall into that ravine. So you're giving it everything you've got to climb up this cliff. You see, the Spirit, He's letting us know something. I don't want you to be shortchanged. I don't want you to be shortchanged with stress and anxiety. I want you to have the abundant life. So don't come short of all that God has for you. Don't live the Christian life in misery when the joy of the Lord is our strength. Don't live the Christian life filled with anxiety when the big God of the Bible has got your back. I mean, he does call himself Emmanuel. Let me refer, remind you, God with us, not against us. He's with us. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. For indeed, the gospel, or the good news, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. Speaking of the Israelites back entering into the promised land. But the word which they heard didn't profit them. Not being mixed with faith. Now, we've defined faith. Faith is not just hearing, but it's also doing. In those who heard it. For we have believed, for we who have believed, do enter that rest. As he said, so I swore my wrath. They shall not enter my wrath, my rest. And what God is saying, what the Holy Spirit is getting across is the same rule that existed for them is the same rule that exists for us. You must have faith to enter into the abundant life. 
They didn't enter into the promised land because they didn't have faith. You won't enter into the promised land of faith, the abundant life, the peace, the rest of God, unless you have faith. So maybe you'll underline verse 3, for we who have believed do enter that rest. He's expressing something here. That it's not simply a measure of hearing the good news. We've got to mix it with faith. And what he's saying is, you can sit under a sermon all day long. You can listen to Christian podcasts all day long. But if you're unkind and angry all the time, it's not mixed with faith. It's just knowledge. There's a difference between knowledge and faith. Knowledge is gaining information. Faith is putting that information into action. It doesn't matter how many sermons you listen to. Let me give you an example. You see, I want you to understand something. I left Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I had been at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale for almost 28 years. The church was 50 people when my wife and I started going to the church. Now, I'll be very honest. When I saw Andrea on the stage, her blonde hair, blue eyes, Calvary Chapel, I walked in one day, there she was leading worship, and let me tell you something. I left, I left First Baptist of Fort Lauderdale that day, and Calvary Chapel was my new church. <laughs> so I didn't have the greatest of motivations when I went to that church, but let me tell you, I stayed there for 28 years. The church was 50 people when we started. It grew to 25,000. And God said, leave. Leave? I've worked this, I've been at this church for 27 years. I put my blood, my sweat, and my tears. And someone came up to me three years before I left and said, God spoke to me that you're to leave Calvary Fort Lauderdale. I laughed. I've been here 27 years. I'm not going anywhere. And then the Lord spoke to me, oh, yes, you are. So I prayed about it. I prayed about it for three years. <laughs> and as I've told you, I left Fort Lauderdale and I came to Calvary Chapel South Bay eight years ago. And let me tell you what happened. The past, I, all the pastors were up front. And I was standing up front. And I looked at all the pastors, and all of them had a line of people that were praying with them. I had no line. No one knew me. No one cared about me. No one wanted to pay me any attention. Well, who is, who is that surfer-looking kid up there anyway? Now, this was eight years ago. I looked much younger than I looked right now. I keep telling my children, this is Emmanuel. All the gray, this is Emmanuel. This is Saturday. This is, and I could go down the list of all my kids, all this gray hair that's come upon me. Now listen, do you know how hard it was for me at 45 years old to leave 27, 28 years of ministry and be in a place of a church of 25,000? And God says leave, and I come to Calvary Chapel South Bay, and none of you want to pray with me. It was sad. And I thought to myself, I have made the biggest mistake of my life. I had no idea eight years ago when I was standing here that one day I'd be the senior pastor of this church. But God did. God did. 
Now just imagine if I would have said, if I would still be praying about it at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. Who knows who could be your pastor? Pray for that person. Faith without works is dead. The abundant life is available to those who trust and obey God's word. You got to put the word into action. It's got to be mixed with faith. It's got to be mixed with faith. So when God asks you to forgive, when he says you need to forgive, you are on the verge of entering your promised land, and now you've got a decision to make. You are, a, you are about to enter no stress. You are about to enter anxiety-free zone. You are about to enter rest and abundant life. And he says to you, forgive. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to walk in the misery of the wilderness and unforgiveness for 40 years? Or are you going to choose to enter into the joy of the promised land and find peace? It's found in being obedient to God's word. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 4. Now, verse 3b. Although... The works were finished from the foundation of the world. Verse 4. For he who has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, speaking about the book of Genesis, God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place. So now we're quoting from Psalm 95. They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it. And those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Stop there if you would. The fruit of this kind of faith is rest. The fruit of this kind of faith is rest. And let me tell you what the Spirit is doing. The Spirit is taking us all the way back to the beginning. Instead of going to Exodus, he takes us to Genesis. He wants to prove that there's a rest that remains for the people of God. That's his whole point. You can, be, you can walk in the peace of God. You can walk in the abundance of God. And it's important to note that he's using God's word, faith, to prove every point. First, he took, took us to Exodus. Then he took us to Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now he's taking us to the book of Genesis. There's quotations. He's using the word of God because the word of God, the Bible says, faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. So the Spirit takes us all the way back to the book of Genesis. Now let me explain. On day six, Adam was created. On day seven, God Rested. Do you know what that meant for Adam? It meant Eden. What do you think about this for just a moment? God is hanging out with Adam. Think about what it meant for Adam for God to rest. He and Eve are running around the garden. <laughs> Doing what we don't know, but <laughs> they had a lot of children. <laughs> now, now, now. 
there they are in the rest of God. God. God would walk in the cool of the day. Adam, the cool of the day. Not the stress of the day. Not the heat of the day. That's not what the Bible says. He walked in the cool of the day. And you have communion, connection, conversation with God. The fruit of this kind of faith that trusts in God's word and obeys God's word is walking in the cool of the day, not the stress of the day. And in a sense, we get something even greater than Adam. There was no stress in the Garden of Eden. There was no anxiety. There were no thorns. There's no sweat. There was no anxiety in the Garden of Eden. We get something even greater than Adam got. In the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our tribulation, we can walk in the cool of the day with God despite everything that's going around us. And Paul told us in Romans chapter 8 why. Because we're not conquerors. We're more than conquerors. It doesn't depend on what's happening externally because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I was just sharing with someone just the other day about Betsy Timboom. And there is Betsy Timboom. She was a prisoner in a concentration camp. She was not Jewish, but she hid Jews and she got arrested. She was dying of pneumonia. And a, one of the inmates looked at her and said, Betsy, how can you say that Jesus loves you? It looks like your God hates you. You've got pneumonia. You're dying in a concentration camp. And you're telling everybody that Jesus loves you. And Corey, the sister, she looks at Betsy and she goes, well, she's kind of right. But Betsy, she said this. You look around you. And that's why you ask me. But I say, greater is he that is in me than he that is around me. She was walking in the cool of the day. It didn't matter. She had a peace that was inside of her. Hebrews chapter 4, look at verse 6. This rest, this rest is available to us on a daily basis. Since therefore it remains that some must enter, some of, we can walk in the cool of the day. And those to whom it was first preached didn't enter because of disobedience. Again, He designates a certain day, saying in David, so the hundreds of years later, today, after such a long time, as it's been said, today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Stop there, if you would. His rest is available for you on a daily basis, even today. How many of you got stressed out today? You got stressed out? Go ahead, raise your hand. It's okay. Christians can get stressed. I know we're having an anti-stress Bible study, but the reason we're having an anti-stress Bible study is to bring you to a place of rest. So how many of you got a little stressed out today? Okay. How many of you drove on the 405 today? Okay. You're stressed out. I know you are. Okay. Listen. <laughs> so true. His rest is available for you. Hundreds of years beyond the time that the Jews were entering the promised land, David says in Psalm 95, today there's a rest for you. 
In other words, what the Holy Spirit is getting across, since it was available for David beyond the entering of the promised land, the Spirit is making clear that the rest is still available for you today. There's a rest that remains when you choose to have faith and be obedient. The rest is available for you today, and it's available for you tomorrow. It's available for you the next day. We can be sure to have this rest from God as we choose to put faith into action. And let me tell you about the rest of God. There's no regret. There's rest. There's no problem. There's peace. There's no day after. There's delight. You see, with the rest of God, it's available for you right now. So he encourages us. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. Look what he encourages us to do, verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he wouldn't have afterwards spoken of another day. In other words, if Joshua was the one that gave rest, then why would David say that today you can have it? Verse 9. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. Let us, therefore, verse 11, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Church, let me, let me let you know what the encouragement is. What he's trying to get across to the Hebrews of that time and what the Spirit is trying to get across to us, whatever it takes, be diligent to enter that rest. If it means you've got to forgive, get into that rest. If it means you've got to go the second mile, get into that rest. If it means you've got to turn the other cheek, Get into that rest. If it means you got to be kind when you feel mean, get into that rest. Because all of the everything else will create stress and anxiety in your life. And he gives us three reasons why we should be diligent to get into that rest. And the first example he uses is Joshua. Look at verse 8. For if Joshua... i tell you about Joshua. Moses had the get out of Egypt, get through the wilderness ministry. That was the name of his church. Get out, get through church. That was the name of his church. Joshua had the divide and conquer ministry. Which ministry do you want? Which ministry? How, how do you want to live your life? Get out and get through it. Or do you want the divide and conquer? You see, Joshua represents victorious faith. Joshua... Did not give the, didn't give the rest of God. He didn't give the rest of God. He's a type of Jesus in the Old Testament. In fact, I don't know if you know this. Jesus means Joshua in the Hebrew text. Jesus is just the Greek of the Hebrew word Joshua. In this light, Jesus is our Joshua who's trying to take us into the promised land. Are we going to listen to him? Or are we going to be like the children of Israel where Joshua goes, no, God said it. We need to go into the promised land. Ah, I'm not going to forgive. I'm not going to be kind. I'm not going to turn the other cheek. I'm not going to go the second mile. Jesus, I'm not going to listen to you. You can do that. Or you can choose to be like Joshua. 
Joshua chose to listen to the word of God and trust the word of God. And he walked into the promised land. And let me tell you something. He brought the enemy down. Joshua was given the strategy of God to be victorious in the promised land. Do you remember Jericho? Hey, Joshua. Angel of the Lord shows up. Joshua? Joshua goes, and who are you? This is, this is Chet English. This is the Chet version of the Bible. But he goes, the angel of the Lord shows up, and Joshua goes, and who are you? <laughs> Do you know who I am? I'm Joshua. Joshua. And the angel of the Lord goes, I'm the captain of the host of the heavenly army. Joshua goes, I'm sorry. <laughs> and then the angel goes, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into Jericho. I want you to walk around Jericho six days. Seventh day, blow some horns and watch me work. Now you be Joshua. You are an ingenious military strategist. And you take that information to your military leaders that are waiting in the war room. Okay, guys, um, let me tell you what God told us to do. We're going to just go to Jericho and we're going to walk around it. <laughs> Joshua, are you serious? <laughs> you don't walk around walls, Joshua. They throw stones on you. They shoot you with arrows. They pour down oil from you. Don't walk. It's what God told us to do. <laughs> God wouldn't. That's like suicide mission. You would never walk around a That's not. We're going to do it. And on the seventh day, we're just going to blow some trumpets. And God said, watch what I do. How do you explain that to your war, your generals? But Joshua had to submit to the word of God. And what happened? The walls of Jericho came tumbling down. Let me tell you about I. God comes on the scene. He goes, Joshua, I got a plan. God, he's such a strategist. He goes, here's the plan. I want half the army to go in front of I, half the army to go behind I. And what I want you to do is pretend like you're Freddy Cats. When they attack you coming out of the city, run for your life. This is God telling Joshua this strategy. Ingenious. And he says, when you start running, the army that's in the back of I, they're going to attack. When you see the smoke going up, no, I've given it to you. Now turn around, face the army that you're running from, and take I. And guess what? Joshua submitted to the word of God, and guess what? I came tumbling down. God gave victory. It may seem ridiculous. It may seem strange. It may seem, Lord, what are you talking about? But when you choose to be obedient... He gives victory. Because let me tell you something about our faith. Our faith is victory. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith, when we listen to God and do what he says, he leads us into victory. But he used another example. Take a look, Joshua chapter 8, verse 9. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has him also ceased from his works as God did from his. He's speaking about the Sabbath. Now let me tell you about the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a refreshing, restoring, renewing faith. How many of you like want to feel refreshed? Restored. I don't know about you, but I'm like tired all the time. I wake up from eight hours of sleep. I'm tired. 
How many of you want to wake up and go, whoa, I feel like, a, I feel like this. Remember the $6 million man? By the way, I just saw him. He does not look like the $6 million man anymore. He's like 80 years old. He looks like the $5 man. <laughs> so no matter the surgeries you get, you will look like him one day. Refreshing. Restoring. Um, have you, I don't know if you watch Fox News, and I'm not making a plug for Fox News, but there's the, they're try, uh, Governor Huckabee, he's always selling this thing called Relaxium. And they have this, if you, if you take Relaxium, you'll have, I'm not advertising for it. This is not a shameless commercial for it. I'm making no profit on Relaxium. But it's amazing to me, they put a couple on. <gasps> he started taking this. Our marriage is different. Now that he's getting eight hours of sleep, we just feel so refreshed and renewed. I want that. And God says, I offer it. I offer it. I offer it for you. There remains a rest for the people of God. Now, I need to let you know something about the children of Israel. They were slaves for over 400 years. And God says in the great Ten Commandments, you get a day off a week. Do you think they went like this? Are you serious? I got to rest once a week? They had a day off for 430 years. And we look at the Ten Commandments like, you got to do this. When they heard that they got a day off a week, let me tell you something. There was a Jewish party going on. Slaves for 430 years, and I get a day off a week, not just that. You get seven holidays. I get seven free PTO days? Like, I can, I get a holiday, I get Passover, I get Pentecost, I get to eat whatever I want. Are you kidding me? This was not the law. God was giving them rest. And listen to this. Every seventh year, all their credit cards were paid off. Now, if I had to say next year is the year of Jubilee and the church is paying off all your credit cards, what would you do? You'd spend every dollar you had at Macy's. You couldn't wait for that time to come. Now, that's not going to happen at Calvary Chapel South Bay. Be responsible and don't live on credit. Now, here's the deal. Can you imagine? They were then told every seventh year, the year of Jubilee, you get the whole year off. What? This is the rest that's available. Because let me tell you something about the Sabbath. It's Mark chapter 2, verse 27. The Bible says this in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. He wants us to be refreshed. He wants us to be restored. He wants us to be renewed. And it happens when we're obedient to his word. And I know you might be nervous about choosing to be obedient. And you're wondering in and of yourself, how will this refresh me just be obedience. Because the Jews were freed from the law. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Imagine if in all of your backyards you had a little sheep pen. And every time you came to Calvary Chapel South Bay, you had to bring a sheep. We slaughtered it before you walked in. Gross. Gross. Imagine. 
If every time someone got saved, we had a little circumcision room over to the left. God bless you. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just saying what it is. Imagine if this was the case. That we had to follow the law. He says, no, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And then he gives one last reason. Would you take a look? He said in verse 10, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Mark Twain said it. I'm going to quote it. Choose a job you love doing, and you'll never have to work a day in your life. Choose a job you love doing. You'll never feel like you work a day in your life. In verse 10, we need to understand the rest that God lives in. Go with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Look at verse 6. John chapter 4, verse 6. Take a look. Jesus is in the Samaritan village, and Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, take a look, being wearied. Uh, The Gospel of John presents to us a very emotional Jesus. He was angered. He was joyful. He was wearied. Jesus was wearied. He was tired. He was wiped out, and he ends up ministering to this woman. Now, we know the story. She runs back to the Samaritan village, and as she runs away, take a look at now John chapter 4. We'll pick it up in verse 27. And at this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Can you imagine the conversation going on? (laughs) Do you remember that book, Da Vinci Code? Never mind. (laughs) And they marveled. What do you see? Uh, But yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see the man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, so there's their waiting for the crowd to come. His disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he says to them, I have a food to eat of which you don't know. I've been energized. I've been energized by the work of God. Therefore, disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Someone slipping him in in and out somewhere before the time we came out? So Jesus said to him, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Choose a job you love doing. You'll never work a day in your life, even when you're weary. John chapter 5, flip over a page, look at verse 9. John chapter 5, look at verse 9. Jesus is in the middle of an argument with the Pharisees. He's not arguing, they're trying to get him. And he has healed a man on the pool of Bethesda on the day of the Sabbath. And immediately, verse 9, the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews, therefore, said to him, who who was cured? It is the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. (laughs) They couldn't even be happy for the guy. Hasn't walked in 38 years. You made me well, said, take up your bed and walk. Verse 12. 
Then they asked him, Who is the man who said you take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed didn't know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. And afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you've been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. So the man departed, and he told on Jesus. He told the Jews it was Jesus who made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him. Blows my mind. He just healed a man, so I want to kill you. Because he'd done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them and said, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Choose a job you love doing. You'll never work a day in your life. You've got to understand what, what the rest of God is. The rest, those that have found the rest of God, have never worked so hard in their life. You see, after the creation, God rested. He rested by doing the work that he loves to do. Hanging out with Adam. Communion. Conversation. Do you realize if God stopped working, the sun would just drop on the earth? He holds everything together. And in like manner, listen gang, we've been made a new creation. By the work that Jesus did on the cross, we've been made a new creation. So don't grow weary in doing good. VBS should refresh us. We change children's life. You see, that's why Paul, the great apostle Paul, he loved what he did. And he wrote the church in Galatia and he said this, Don't grow weary in doing good because when we do the work of God, it's like we've never worked a day in our life. So he gives us these three reasons. Let me tell you, victory is so much better than anxiety. Being refreshed is so much better than being terrified. This is what the rest of God offers. And he says, be diligent to enter into it. He doesn't want us to fall short of all that God has for us. Imagine if there's a list in heaven when you die. Well, here's everything you missed out on. You missed out on this. 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 Because you chose not to listen. Now, I'm sure there is not that. If I was God, there would be a list. Trust me, when you came to heaven. I would remind you. But I'm sure there's not a list. Imagine if there was. So how do I keep from falling and stay in the fullness? I want to close with this. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4. Go back there with me in verse 12. How do I keep in the fullness and to keep myself from falling? For the word of God is living powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. It's a discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The writer says, why cut yourself short? I know there's stress around you, but there doesn't have to be stress within you. And God God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows exactly what to say to us. He knows exactly the best plan for us to live in the abundant life. He knows where we will be fulfilled, and He knows it requires faith. 
Church, I was going to be a medical doctor. But God knows I didn't. I'm afraid of blood. (laughs) Can you imagine coming to my emergency room? Oh, gosh. Imagine. Can you please help me? Oh, give me a second. (laughs) So God knew what was best for me, closed the door, and I'm a pastor because he knows me better than I know myself. And he says, listen, we're not, not only does God know you, we've got a responsibility to give an account to him. And just like the children of Israel, we're responsible for what God tells us to do. So if you're a husband, he's got a word for you. Love your wife. If you're a wife, he's got a word for you. Respect your husband. You're accountable to it. If you're a child, he's got a word for you. Honor your father and your mother. If you're an employee, he's got a word for you. Work is unto the Lord. In every aspect of life, he's got a word for you. And we're accountable to God for his word. And let me tell you about the word. The word of God is living and powerful. It's a two-edged sword. There's grace and there's truth. It divides soul and spirit. It divides divides what we feel and what faith is all about. He knows what you're thinking. He knows the motive of your heart. The word of God is living and powerful. And you can move from falling short of the experience of God, walking in the fullness of life, by choosing to be obedient to the living and powerful word of God because he's speaking to you to help you go into your promised land. It's your choice. You're right here. Do you want to wander for 40 years or do you want to be just obedient and enter in? So, Father, I come before you in Jesus' name. I think if we're all honest, Lord, there are areas in our life that we've been wandering in the wilderness. If that's you tonight, you need to repent. Would you just humbly, quietly in your heart, just raise your hand and say, I've been in the wilderness a long time. I need to confess that to the Lord. Just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Just raise your hand. You're not walking. You're stressed out. You're filled with anxiety. There's a rest that remains. And so, Lord, with these hands lifted high, these are hands of surrender. We surrender. None of us want to walk in the wilderness. We want to be in the promised land where there's victory, where there's renewal, refreshing. Lord, forgive us. Now I pray in Jesus' name. Give us the power of your Holy Spirit to be obedient to your word. To mix what you say with faith, to put it into action. Lord, give us victory. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, let the church say, Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. 
If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.